podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 242, Women Military Aviators, Past and Present, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Newville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to the show about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Today we have a special ladies takeover of the podcast. Your host today is going to be Victoria Newville, and she has some really special guests this evening. But before we begin, a few words from our sponsor. Don't forget to visit our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Plain English Sim. This is an app-based aviation radio simulator. Use the coupon code Plain English Sim to receive a free scholarships guide courtesy of PlainEnglishSim.com. The most recent update includes 32 new scholarships, 18 updates, and a new scholarships for adults category. So please go check it out at AviationCareersPodcast.com. Click on the scholarships. Use that coupon code PlainEnglishSim to get your free scholarships guide and access for a full year with updates every month. Now entering cruise flight. Well, let's move on to the show. Well, today, Victoria is going to be hosting a ladies' takeover of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Uh, Victoria, take it away. Thank you, Carl. As I'm sure you've noticed, um, if you listened to the show before, one of my greatest passions is getting more women involved in aviation. This is because throughout my whole private and instrument training, um, I didn't meet or know another female pilot. So as much as I appreciated the male mentors in my life, um, I did miss that female connection, having someone I could relate to in the industry. Um, currently, women only make up 6%. Actually, I think it, I think it might have gone up to 7 now, finally, um, of the pilot population. And I know it's even less when it comes to the United States uh, military. So today we have two very special guests. And I just wanted to talk about the female pilots of aviation's past and present. So first you might've heard from our friend before, um, my dear friend, Erin Miller. Um, her grandmother was a wasp. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Now I'm kind of surprised when I talk to people about aviation and if I mention the wasp, some might not know uh, who these remarkable women are. Do you mind sharing your story with us? Sure, the WASP stands for Women Air Force Service Pilots, and they were the first women to fly military planes for the United States Armed Forces during, and that happened during World War II. And my grandmother was one of those uh, women. There were 1,102 of the women who uh, made it through the program and eventually worked as a WASP. Now, they had a, a large fight ahead of them to get military um, benefits and you were a major part of this with your grandmother when she passed away. Can you share um, what that was and how our other special guest came involved with this? Okay, so 
During World War II, it's kind of a long story, but I have a short version. During World War II, these women were hired um, under the purview of the United States Army in a civilian capacity and never formally uh, inducted into the Army or commissioned as officers. There was a bill in Congress to make them part of the Army, but it failed in the summer of 1944. So the program was eventually canceled at the end of 1944, and those women were never formally made part of the Army. Because of that, uh, they went home, went about their lives, and were never recognized as veterans. In the 1970s, the uh, armed forces uh, started talking about integrating the service academies to have women. The, the Air Force started talking about having female pilots and talking about, oh, we're going to have this new thing where we have women fly military planes. And my grandma and her friends were like, we did that 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Maybe we should tell people about this. <laughs> so they went to Congress and spent um, several years, actually took a long time, uh, going to Congress and having various iterations of a bill go through Congress to have them retroactively recognized as veterans. And eventually in 1977, a bill from Senator Barry Goldwater had language incorporated in it that allowed the women Air Force Service pilots and any other groups who felt that they were in a similar situation to petition the Department of Defense for recognition as veterans retroactively. So there were other groups like the Merchant Marines of World War II who lost over 9,000 members during World War II that were in similar kind of civilian capacities but not formally recognized as having done service for the armed forces. So eventually... You actually had a good point there. I w I'm sorry to interrupt, but okay. I just wanted to say... Um, these women went and served flying aircraft for testing, training other pilots in these aircraft. And if they were to perish during this, which I think the number was 30, how, how many women? 38. 30, 38 yes. passed away serving our country. And they didn't, they had to like, their friends and family had to pay to get their bodies home. Like the military did not cover this. Correct. The, uh, yeah, so they were civilians. There was a stipend kind of for civilians who perished in work, which was a couple hundred dollars. But, uh, for example, the service people at the time, their families would get sometimes $10,000. So there's a big difference there. And obviously the gold star, the flag on the casket, military honors, all that stuff, none of that was afforded to them. So there was a, quite a difference there. So anyway, so in the 1970s, they got this bill passed and they petitioned to get recognized retroactively as veterans. And eventually, my grandmother received her DD-214 in 1979, 35 years after she left service, which is the paperwork that Nicole knows well that lets you uh, show that you have served active duty in the United States Armed Forces. So at that point was when I came into the world, right? And I always saw my grandma as a veteran. She had a uniform and she gave talks and went around, you know, to the White House to show how she had served in World War II. I went to the World War II memorial dedication with her down on the mall in Washington, D.C. and things like that. But she passed away in 2015. And we applied to have her laid to rest at Arlington National Cemetery, which is where she had requested to be. And uh, to our surprise, the cemetery rejected our application because 
Shortly before my grandmother died, the Army had produced a memo saying that the Watts were not allowed to be at Arlington National Cemetery on their own merit. My grandmother's husband, I never met him, but my grandfather uh, had a medical condition. He could not serve in the armed forces. So a lot of the Watts buried in Arlington are buried with a spouse who was in the armed forces as well. So even though they may not have received, there was a period of time where they were buried there as a spouse and did not receive military honors, they were still allowed to be there. You know, there was kind of a separate argument over their funeral. My grandmother was, um, you know, we were trying to get her in there on her own merit as a wasp. And so my family and I decided to fight back and led a campaign to have a new law passed through Congress to amend the old law from the 70s to make sure that there was language added to require the Army to recognize the service of the WASP as eligible for Arlington National Cemetery. So this brought you to, you met so many interesting people along this journey, and it was a long fight to get this done. Who, who, who helped you out? There was someone pretty cool. There were lots of people involved, and I, you know, I wrote a book about all of this, and I tried to kind of highlight the major people who were very helpful, but um, in Congress, uh, coincidentally, um, a few months before my grandmother passed away, there was a new freshman member of the House of Representatives from Arizona named Martha McSally, who was a retired colonel from the United States Air Force who flew A-10 uh, attack plane, which is a very weird, cool plane. And uh, she was actually the first woman for the Air Force to fly a combat mission. And she happened to be in Congress and her staff found out about our problem and decided to uh, that she could come forward and write legislation to help us. So that was very cool to have her there. Uh, and she actually knew some of the WASP because she had been in the Air Force for a long time and had met them at various events and things over the years. All right, so we went from A-10s, women flying A-10s helping you out on this mission. And guess what, you found a Thunderbird in the process as well. Who's this Thunderbird that you met throughout um, fighting for the WASP to be buried at Arlington? So Miss uh, retired Colonel Nicole Malakowski, United States Air Force. Um, actually, Nicole has been in my life longer than that period. I just, um, Nicole actually knew my grandmother and that's how we know each other. So Nicole met my grandmother about eight, seven, eight years earlier. And then when my problem came up again, I already knew about Nicole and I like to refer to Nicole as the granddaughter my grandmother really wanted, but um, <laughs> she loved Nicole. She spoke very highly of Nicole all the time. And so, uh, you know, she, she, Nicole was kind of in my tangential WASP family for several years before this bill in 2016 happened. So I will let Nicole explain her past and how the WASP came about um, to her. Well, thank you for that, Erin. I, um, I do have very fond memories of your grandmother and I know that she was extraordinarily proud of you because we talked about you quite often. And what your listeners may not know is that Erin still works on behalf of veterans. She works at the Department of Veterans Affairs, making sure that our nation does right by our service members. Um, and so I honor her for that and for her service to our country in that capacity. Um, and she did an excellent job describing um, the history of the WASP. Um, one of the things that was really interesting is at the end of World War II, 
I'll just be blunt, the walks were very unceremoniously disbanded. And what happened was not only did they not, were they not recognized for military service or given veterans benefits as Aaron um, discussed, but because of the cultural paradigms and norms at the time, basically their history and their record, their contributions, right, to the entire free world were actually locked away. They were like stamped secret, put in the archives. And so as the books were being written on the greatest generation, as the books and the history books were being written on World War II and the history was being taught in our classrooms, the fact of the matter is, is that the WASP history was not in there. You know, so even as a young lady growing up, um, you know, I decided in 1979 that I wanted to be a fighter pilot after going to an air show. You know, even at that time, I didn't know that the WASP existed because the story had literally been hidden away in a vault. And so as I went kind of across my career, my first exposure to the WASP was when I was actually in, in sixth grade. Um, uh, Top Gun had come out, right? I knew I wanted to be a fighter pilot. And I remember standing up in class one day, each of us had to pick a Friday. And my sixth grade teacher said, tell us what you want to be when you grow up and how you're going to get there. And I stood up and I said, I'm going to be a fighter pilot someday. And I couldn't even get the next words out of my mouth when he told me that that's actually against the law. It's not practical. And he actually said, sit down and come back another Friday when you have something more reasonable. Oh and I home and just bawling my eyes out. I, I was just completely uh, didn't understand that there was a law against women flying fighters. I didn't understand why he felt that way. And my parents ended up taking me on a trip to the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., because I love airplanes. And there in the far corner, it was a teeny tiny eight and a half, you know, by 11, tiny picture covered in dust in a dark corner were the pictures of these wasps. And there was a little teeny plaque describing their story. And all of a sudden, right, that light bulb came back on in my head. My heart came back alive. My dream and my spirit was restored by knowing their story. So fast forward with their legacy in my heart at the age of 12, I moved forward, you know, to the Air Force Academy. I was lucky enough to be um, born at the right time. I was a sophomore at the Air Force Academy when the congressional ban on women flying fighters was lifted. So I enjoyed three operational tours in the F-15E, flew in combat, had a wonderful time and ended up finding myself um, flying as a Thunderbird pilot. Now, I was a little bit blissfully ignorant at the time that being the first woman Thunderbird pilot was going to be a big deal. Um, I had never known an Air Force without women fighter pilots in it. I had been aware of the WASP legacy from a young age. But this interest, right, this media interest and intense spotlight kind of came on me because just of the uniqueness of the situation. And I remember going to one of my very first air shows. And after we landed, our Air Force public affairs uh, personnel came over. They said, ma'am, we need you to move down the line here. There's some people we need to get you to who really want to meet you. We have to. And they'd never done this before. Usually I just interacted with whoever was there. And as they moved me down the line, there they were, a group of wasps with their beautiful signature blue scarf flapping in the wind. And they were sitting there wanting my autograph. Now think of how backwards this uh -huh. is. Think of how backwards it is, right? My heroes standing in front of me that made my dream come true. And it reignited. It was the first time I'd really met her like, and interacted with real life wasp. 
So as my Thunderbird uh, air shows progressed, I met WASP all over the country. I moved on and found myself as a White House fellow the next year. So here I am, a random major in the Air Force as a White House fellow with access to people and places I should never have access to, haven't had access since, and I thought, what could I do? And I remember talking to so many WASP, including Aaron's grandmother, and it wasn't that they wanted recognition. They didn't want awards. They didn't care about medals. They wanted to correct the record. Correct the record. So what can we do as a group and a team to make sure that their story is finally brought out of the shadows and brought into our history books in its rightful place? And that's where this idea of the Congressional Gold Medal came to my mind. It gets pretty detailed, but long story short, I had a year, I went to the archives, I studied up, and I drafted Senate Bill 614 on the fourth floor of my condo in Arlington, Virginia. And at that point, working alongside a lot of the WASP family and friends, the WASP that were still alive themselves, such as her grandmother, we moved forth with boots on Capitol Hill to get that Congressional Gold Medal done. And in 2010, we were able to correct the record at an official ceremony awarding them the rightful Congressional Gold Medal. You know, you got me thinking there. You had a teacher who basically could have ended your dreams right then and there if you would have given up and just said, no, all right, I, I believe him, I can't do this. But you had parents that were very supportive and brought you someplace that could show you, here, your dream can come true. And to think that the wasper is so forgotten just in this corner full of dust it just makes me think that many women or young girls might not have the right introduction to become pilots someday. So, you know, um, how did you take that on as being a Thunderbird and Aaron writing your book and sharing your story to encourage people that this past is very important to our present? Well, since I've been coming involved in all of this, and I'm I'm not a pilot, so I don't know. Maybe I'll learn one day, but it hasn't happened you yet. No, I'm a CFI now. So <laughs> I know. Just Victoria, saying, we kind of live close. <laughs> um, anyway, I, I'm not a pilot, but I grew up with my grandma. I knew what she did. Her name was Elaine Harmon, by the way. I think I have neglected to say her name this whole time because I just call her my grandma. But anyway. Um, so I grew up around, she you know, had flown planes, but she wasn't actively flying planes when I was growing up, but I was around it a lot. I have a cousin in my family who flew for the Navy. You know, my dad was in the, flew helicopters in Vietnam. It's not like I didn't know about flying or anything, but my grandmother was very insistent on us following our own dreams and doing what interests us. And she didn't try to like force us all to become pilots or anything. Um, so I knew it was very important and she really loved history. I read lots of history books and like biographies. I read Jackie Cochran's biography when I was, I don't know, eight years old or something like that. So I knew a lot about these people and I was always very surprised at school when other people didn't know about them. Other students um, would, you know, we didn't have Google when I was a kid. So I would say my grandma flew planes in World War II and other kids would say, that's not true. That didn't happen. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And I actually met someone at Oshkosh, I think it was last year. Another wasp, um, I think it was his, uh, her, her nephew or something, said that his daughter, so great niece or something of this wasp, had explained in school, and this was not that long ago, that her grandma had flown in World War II, and she got called to the principal's office because the teacher thought she was lying, 
and she was going to get in trouble. And then they had to go this whole thing about, you know, no, those are real people. And then, you know, it became a teaching moment, I guess. Anyway, since that time and since this situation has arisen with my grandmother, I've become very involved with women in aviation and I've uh, helped coordinate several Girls in Aviation Day and try to spread the, not just the history of the WASP, but the fact that the lessons from their from their experience. It's not just like girls should become pilots. It's it's about, you know, remembering our history, remembering things that have gone in the past. And I, I've talked to a lot of kids that do National History Day and, and maybe they don't want to become pilots, but they love the story of the WASP and, you know, women doing something unusual at a time when a lot of women didn't even drive cars. And, and I help kids that are interested in history learn that aspect of it. And then I also use my book to teach people about Congress and how bills work and, you know, all this uh, activism that's going on now. That's great. But like, how do you actually change the rules and change the law, right? This is how you do it. And so I help people explain, explain that to people as well. But yeah, the, my grandmother's thing was just like Nicole said, they're all, they just want the history to be correct, have people know what they did. They don't want to be forgotten. It's not like about glory or my grandma didn't think she was that great. And if you talked to her, she'd be like, well, I was one of the like, not, you know, like she didn't fly a test plane or do anything cool. It was, she was like, did the quote unquote, like boring wasp job. And so she was very modest about all of this, but she was very dedicated to speaking about what she had done and spent 50 years going out and giving talks about it. Yeah, you know, she brings up a really interesting point. I've had the privilege of meeting quite a few WASP over the years. And I got to tell you, humility is probably their number one characteristic, followed probably just by a dignified presence, just their grit, their perseverance, everything about it. But remember, I mean, take yourself back to World War II, the 1940s. I mean, it was unusual for women to be outside of the home. It was extra unusual for women, you know, to be flying aircraft. But why did they do what they do? Why did they became, become wasps? Because women can love their country too. And some women choose to show that, right, by wearing their nation's uniform. And the fact of the matter is, is that these wasps flew military aircraft. They lived on military bases. They wore military uniforms. They had a military schedule. The, the injustice you know, that they were denied those veterans benefits when they were unceremoniously disbanded, you know, was egregious and it needed to be corrected. And I hope that your listeners, you know, will, will maybe we can pique their interest. You know, you can Google stuff about the WASP now. Women Air Force service pilots, go for it. Learn their history, share their history. They flew every kind of military aircraft, fighter aircraft, bombers, transport. They did every kind of mission. They were instructor pilots, test pilots. Um, they were the type of people who were actually developing the aerial tactics that the men were using, you know, in the Pacific and the European theaters. You know, but what's interesting about this whole thing is that, you know, why, why were the wasps formed? The fact of the matter is that the air war in Europe was rough. We didn't have enough male pilots here in the continental United States to fulfill the roles I just mentioned. Instructor pilots, you know, in order to have pilots, you need to create pilots. And there was a need. And it hit a point where the crisis situation of World War II was so big that society was willing to temporarily overlook these cultural paradigms that said women shouldn't be doing this. And not only shouldn't they be, they probably can't. They're probably not smart enough or skillful enough. But the WASP came along with their patriotism. They raised their hand and they say, I have a skill and I have a right to defend my country and love my country too. And I want to serve. And that's what they did. And in spite of all of that, right, our, our nation decided to forget their history for decades. 
And so to be a part of the Congressional Gold Medal and then to see Erin Miller do what she did is just extraordinary. You know, when when the bill was signed into law to award the Congressional Gold Medal, I had the privilege of standing in the Oval Office. Um, then President Barack Obama is who signed it into law. And I was honored to be standing in that room next to Elaine Harmon. And that's how Aaron and I overlap. Yeah, so that is how we met um, uh, through my grandmother, Nicole, working on her legislation for the gold medal. And then eventually after my grandmother passed away and I started working uh, to get the bill passed so my grandmother could be buried in Arlington. Obviously, I started meeting all these wonderful folks in the aviation community that I had heard wonderful things about, but not necessarily met in person, and met lots of new people that I didn't know about, but had known my grandmother, lots and lots of them. Uh, like, so many people come up to me at air shows and events and say, I, I met your grandmother in a lecture once or whatever. So there's a lot of these folks out there, and Nicole is one of them. And like I said, my grandmother loved her like a a non-biological granddaughter. <laughs> I loved her like a non-biological granddaughter. <laughs> oh, loved all the wasp. You know, Victoria, you started out this podcast. We were talking about, you know, the low numbers of, of women in aviation, whether that's in civilian or military flying and, you know, things we can do in order to try to, you know, get those numbers higher. And, you know, what Erin did, right? You know, taking on that gnarly challenge of, of getting Arlington to do the right thing, of writing a book and sharing that story, of seizing opportunities like she is right now to share that story, you know, that's part of it. And, and I gotta tell you, when I was a Thunderbird pilot, like I said, I, I traveled all over the country and that's where I was really exposed to the WASP. I mean, I met so many of them in person. I, I heard their stories. And, and prior to that, if I'm being honest, I, I think there was a, a lack of maturity. Maybe it was just age where I used to get really, uh, upset when people would describe me as the first woman Thunderbird pilot, or they would call me the woman Thunderbird or woman fighter pilot. Cause I felt like that qualifier woman didn't need to be there. Right. I, I wanted to be a great known as a great Thunderbird. I wanted to be known as a great fighter pilot. But then as I started watching these wasps and I'm realizing what they had meant to me, I remember at my very first air show walking to the autograph line after my very first show, I was exhausted. I was sweaty. I was just, Thank goodness I made it through the show. I go to the autograph line and I remember it hit me. I looked up and in my line, there was, I'm not exaggerating, a hundred people deep. I looked to my left and to the right to the male pilots who also had people in line, maybe a dozen, right? And then as I looked back at those hundred people standing in line for my autograph, they were all in that demographic, right? Young girls, ages 10 to 18. And that's when that light bulb came off and I connected the WASP story to mine and mine to future aviators, which was this, that it means something to see someone who looks like you succeeding. And so the more we share our stories, your story of flying with Turbo the dog and your children's books and Aaron's story of Arlington and maybe my story flying with the Thunderbirds and on and on, the more we share it, the more that we're going to expose these young women to what's in the art of the possible. And oh, by the way, we're also exposing young men to what's in the art of the possible for what their, their female friends and colleagues you know, can do. And I think we need to tell these stories as young as we can get these young ladies. Doesn't mean they all need to go on and become pilots. Like Karen said, that's not the point. It's to let them know that that option is there, that that door is open should they choose to walk through it. I am yeah, so glad I, you made that point. 
what I was going to say is that, yeah, well, that was one of my grandmother's big things. People are like, how can you not be a pilot? Your grandmother was a wasp and your dad, you know, received a distinguished flying cross for flying into combat in Vietnam in a helicopter. And I didn't mention this. My great grandfather was also in the U.S. Army during World War One. And I have a cousin who flew for the Navy. I have it all over my, my family. But that just... And I was actually really interested in it, but somewhere along the way, I just started doing other things. There's so many different options in the world to do. And I'm fortunate to live here where we can uh, pursue many of those options. And I'm an attorney. And it's funny, Nicole brings up this woman pilot thing because I'm in this group with, with Lucky where we talk about why, are, especially Patty always says like, why is it woman pilot? No one says woman lawyer or woman doctor. They just say doctor. And I'm like, you know, I, I bet back in the day they said that, but now that half of graduates from law school are women and my sister is a veterinarian and they predict that in in maybe 10 years 80 percent of veterinarians will be women nobody says women veterinarian right because mm -hmm. at, but back in the day in the 70s there were almost no women veterinarians but it's just like as these things evolve and there's more women like people stop saying that qualifier in front of it i see that debate all the time about why do we have to, yeah, put the qualifier? And I think it's our our duty in a way at times just just to set ourselves aside to know that we put it here because it's a smaller group. And if my dad hadn't told me about, brought me to air shows and told me that this was something I could do, I would probably not be a pilot today. I think all of us has had someone introduce us to aviation or Aaron, I'm sure someone said something to you about law that just put that bug in your ear, whether you'll become a female cop or a female firefighter, you know, that's, it's that initial bug in the ear that brings those numbers up and gets people into unique jobs. And um, I mean, Nicole, I could watch you fly all day long at any air show. And, you know, that's, that's the stuff that, you know, dreams are made out of. And I'm sure many girls, you know, looked up to the skies and all those girls in line to get your autograph. And I, I wonder if you could like see how many became pilots because they saw you. You know, it's so interesting, you know, that you bring that up. Cause I want to, I want to be clear. It wasn't that they necessarily wanted my autograph. You know, they didn't know Nicole Malakowski. It wasn't like we were all going to become, you know, the best of friends and stay in touch. What it was is that seeing me, a woman doing that, represented something to them, you know, made something inside of them feel moved, you know, made something inside of them feel called to action. So it wasn't about, you know, Nicole Malakowski, but the idea that just by doing and following my dream, just by being myself, it could move other people in the direction of their dreams. And think about it. That's exactly what the wasp did for me, right? You know, when you heard me recount myself as a child, realizing the wasp, and to Aaron's point, the wasp are so much more than just pilots. It's so much more than just about airplanes. It's about following your dream. It's about leadership and teamwork and patriotism and these amazing characteristics and skills that we need America's youth to know about, to learn about the wasp because it's applicable regardless of what career, you know, career field or industry, a young person, you know, decides to go into. Um, so their, their legacy is so much more than just flying airplanes. Yeah, I try to explain in my book, people, like I said, ask me that, why aren't you a pilot, blah, blah, blah. And I say, well, my grandma wanted us to pursue our own 
interests, right? And so I was interested in aviation early, but also interested in a bunch of other stuff. And when I talk to young people today and, you know, who read my book or are interested in the WASP and they're doing projects on it or whatever, one of the things I like to say is my grandmother always would say that everyone can serve their community or their nation in some way, right? We all have some talent or some knowledge or some something we can do to contribute. And my grandmother at the time during World War II, like these other women said, I have a pilot's license and I can apply for this program and see if I can uh, help serve my country. And that's what she did. But after that, she even continued in our, our own local community here. She was a volunteer at a literacy program. She taught people to read. I mean, she did all kinds of other things that are not even aviation related. So, you know, um, Victoria, you kind of, I, I kind of didn't answer your last question. I realized you said, I wonder how many of those young gals you know, who stood in line and saw me fly became, you know, pilots or military pilots. I, I don't know that I'll, I'll ever know the answer to that, but here's an interesting thing that happened today. I've been on Facebook Messenger all day catching up with this young lady I'm going to tell you about. Um, my very first air show was in March of 2006. It was at Fort Smith, Arkansas. I told you I landed. I went to that autograph line and I realized, wow, there's a hundred young ladies standing in line to get my autograph because it means something to them. And the Air Force Public Affairs knew that this was kind of one of those moments they wanted to capture. So one of the singular pictures that I have of my time on the Thunderbirds is me signing my very first autograph. I'm leaning into this girl whose our eyes are completely connected. She's looking at me as if I hung the moon. I'm smiling just because I was so happy to meet her, but also so thrilled to have made it through my first air show. I'd made it to the autograph line and I'm signing a hat. She was 13 years old. Her name is Sarah. And today she just returned from her first deployment flying F-15 E Strike Eagles in Afghanistan. Oh my That's goodness. awesome. <laughs> She's 20-something years old. She went on to fly the same aircraft that I did and even trained in the same squadron that I learned to fly in. And so that's the point, right? The WASP didn't do what they did to be first or to get noticed. They did it because it was their dream and their way to serve. I didn't apply to be a Thunderbird to be the first. I did it because I wanted to be part of that mission. I wanted to be part of representing, recruiting, and retaining airmen in the world's greatest Air Force. I really did. You know, and now Sarah has moved forward to take, you know, the mantle and the torch in a whole new way. I mean, you can't walk into an Air Force fighter squadron today without seeing at least, you know, one woman represented. There's about 70 women fighter pilots in today's active duty Air Force, just to give your listeners kind of a idea of the numbers. And it's amazing. And Sarah's one of them. And the fact that I have a picture of her in 2006 as a 13 year old girl. And here I am today texting with her about her deployment to Afghanistan. It's just unbelievable. And the WASP started all that. The WASP started all that. You never know who you're going to be inspiring just by stepping into a school and telling your story about what you do. You know, can, can we talk a little bit about numbers? Because I think, I know I've talked to Erin about this before. Um, she said earlier in World War II, there was 1,102 uh, women that flew as WASP. In today's active duty Air Force, now don't call Air Force Public Affairs on me. I'm you, these are rough numbers. <laughs> There are in the active duty Air Force, so I'm not talking Guard and Reserve, there are 12,000 pilots. What's your guess on how many are women? I know the answer, so I'm not going to say, so I'm going to make Victoria answer. <laughs> oh, gosh, put me on the spot. I always memorize my 6%, and I knew I know ATPs are like 
1%. So am I doing a percentage or a number? Just a number. Pick a number. Oh, gosh. 1,000. Yeah. So there's 850. Today. Oh, so close. So we had more women flying in the Army Air Corps in World War II than we have flying in today's active duty Air Force. Now, please don't mistake that there's, a, there's women flying in the reserves and the Guard and, of course, the other services. But even given that, I feel that it's a shockingly no number. That's very yeah, there's 12,000 active duty pilots in the Air Force. Of those 3,000-ish are fighter pilots. Of those fighter pilots, about 70-ish are women today. Wow. Just numbers to think on. Well, it really really puts it in perspective. I mean, did you, did you feel some additional pressure? I mean, we keep saying the first female pilot Thunderbird. I mean, that must have come with a significant not to say burden, but um, wait to, you know, do better and to just show people that it can be done. I mean, there was an additional magnifying glass. I did feel under the spotlight um, a few times. A couple things were in my favor, though. Um, one, in all sincerity, the gentlemen that I flew with were extraordinary. They never, they never treated me any different. But remember, they were my age, my peers. They never knew an Air Force without women fighter pilots. So to them, this wasn't a big deal. And so having that kind of insulation around me or that kind of, you know, personality around me was certainly very helpful. Um, most of, you know, if there was any criticism of stuff actually generally came from outside of the military. Um, but because I had been a fighter pilot for so long and because I was insulated by a team of gentlemen who were perfectly flying, you know, we'd gone to combat together and you know, why can't we fly air shows together kind of a thing. I think that made it easier. Now, I, so I didn't feel pressure from them. I did feel pressure that I put on myself though. Um, and I'm, I've never really figured out how to eloquently say this. So stick with me, but the, the only pressure that I felt was self-imposed and it was this, I wanted to open this door in a way that the door stayed open for other women to follow. I knew deeply that if I quote unquote messed up that I might ruin it for a couple years worth of women behind me. So the pressure I felt was to do this right and open the door in a way that the door stayed open. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I think you did a very good job too. So thank you for keeping that door open for all of us. You're kind. And there's been several um, women Thunderbird pilots after me and the current team right now, the lead solo, Michelle Curran, is out yeah. there it. You know, she's been flying across the country in the America Strong Flybys and we're very, very proud of her. I will say, Nicole, I used to talk to my grandmother about this, and she said the exact same thing. The only thing, one of the few things I worried about when I was a wasp was not messing up because I didn't want people to say, see that wasp woman pilot, she messed up, and so now women can't do this. Like, they messed it up for everybody. She used to say that to me, so mm -hmm. it's not just you. <laughs> I think we are growing. I see it definitely we've evolved as um a race here that I'm getting less and less negative comments and seeing less and less of this woman can't do this. And I think those generations are fading out and I think it's becoming more the norm because really all the people at my airport, I got my CFI last year and it was all men that were supportive and helping me and um, giving me tips. And my flight instructor was the only 
female that I had going to at the time to help me out. And so I think it's it's becoming rare to see those negative words and hopefully all the work that your grandmother done, has done and that you have done, Nicole, is really keeping that door open and people seeing that it's the norm and we are equals here. We just are all here for the love of aviation. Well, Victoria, I think uh, this has been awesome just having our these guests here that were so inspirational you know one of the things i want to say bef- before we we close out i know this was uh, the ladies take over the podcast but you know every i've had the privilege of interviewing many different wasps out there and uh, something came to me i was reading uh, aaron miller's book and i i have it here with me and there's a signature from aaron who says dear carl thank you for your support of women air force service pilots Aaron Miller. And, you know, one of the things I wanted to say, though, when, when she wrote that is I wanted to, I wish I could personally thank the Women Air Force Service Pilots for supporting us as a community because they really have done so much and still continue to do so much. Even if their voices are silent, they're kept out there in the public purview by people like Aaron and people like Nicole, and their legacy truly does live on. And that's something that we truly appreciate here, not just in the aviation community, but in the community as a whole. So my hat's off to both Nicole and to Aaron for everything you've done uh, for promoting women in aviation and aviation in general. It's been just such a pleasure having you folks here. Well, thank you. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of the aviation community. You know, when this, you know, it's not easy to lose uh, your grandmother, especially someone that was so uh, influential in my life. She lived to be 95 and I knew her my entire life. She lived down the street from me and she was, you know, very important to me and it was not easy to lose her. And then it made it even more difficult to have to spend a year and a half fighting with the United States Army and the United States Congress to make sure that she was properly recognized and wait so long for a funeral. And during that whole process, I met all these lovely aviation community folks who came forward to support us. And that really helped push the legislation through Congress. And they've been nothing but kind and uh, supportive and helpful to me and my family. And, and I very much appreciate it. This is a wonderful thing you've done, both from the Congressional Gold Medal of Honor and also the ability to be buried in Arlington Cemetery. And uh, you will continue the fight, not just for them and their legacy, but for all the people and all those other young and older aviators that are females out there. And not just aviators, as you as you said, everybody involved in our community to to forward their cause. And to you really have made a difference and you continue to make a difference. And I'm really happy and for that, but also uh, it's been a truly a privilege to have you on. And Victoria, just thanks for this idea. I mean, this is so awesome having having the, the ladies take over. We'd love to have you back on and do it again. Yeah, we could. I think we could talk forever. And, you know, thank you, Aaron, for putting me in touch with Nicole. Aaron and I have just passed by each other for the longest time. We always were in the same circles until we finally met at, was it Sun and Fun or Oshkosh? I think it was um, Oshkosh. Oshkosh. At Camp Bacon, I believe. So, Camp Bacon. you know. Yeah. And, you know, it's just so fun when we finally get connected because there is aviation is a very small group and it is it is a family. You know, it's a huge family. That's how, you know, my turbo books got sold and how your books got sold. So um, can you remind us again where to find your books? And then also, Nicole, where we can find you online if people you're doing speaking now. So. So my book is called Final Flight, Final Fight. My Grandmother, the Wasp, and Arlington National Cemetery. 
and you can purchase it online at your favorite online retailer, such as Amazon or barnesandnoble.com, or you can ask your local uh, bookstore to order it for you, or bookshop.com, which is independent bookstore supporter. And I echo Erin, I want to thank you for having me on um, and for giving me an opportunity to reconnect with my great friend Erin and to talk about uh, the WASP legacy, but also to talk about the women who are out there getting the aviation job done today um, in the military. Um, I don't have a book yet, but I do do professional speaking and consulting. And you can find me at NicoleMalakowski.com. And if I could have one call to action to your listeners, I hope today they'll just take a moment, Google the WASP and just learn one or two new facts about them today and share them with somebody. I like how you said yet. So maybe someday there will be a book we'll be reading about you. I keep telling her <laughs> to write a book. I'm like, you need to write a book, girl. Yeah. You got two people. We'll help work the booth. <laughs> At least one person would read it, Aaron. Thank you. <laughs> Well, again, everybody, thanks so much, for, and Victoria, for bringing everybody here together. Uh, you can find all those links that they talked about, uh, NicoleMolinowski.com and FinalFlightFinalFight.com in the show notes at the bottom. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, PlainEnglishSim.com. That's the app-based aviation radio simulator. Also, the coupon code PlainEnglishSim will get you a free scholarships guide. And if you're one of the ladies listening to this now, we have many scholarships for women, many through the Women in Aviation and many other female organizations that are out there. Again, I really would love for you folks to do something. When you turn this podcast off, just don't stop. Don't, don't put it down. Don't After you stop riding your bicycle, I want you to go out there online and do something today to honor the legacy of the Women Air Force Service Pilots. Just go out there and, like Nicole said, Google the Women Air Force Service Pilots. And that would be something that really would bring their legacy forth. And I really appreciate your listening today. Safe flying out there, and we'll talk to you next episode. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.